Dinosaurs, everybody. Welcome to the Mary and Tom Show. I'm Tom. I'm Mary. This is our show. Yep. Today, Mary. We have questions. We have questions. Yeah. Well, we have answers. They have questions. Do we have questions? Well, we have questions to answer. Okay. I guess we could ask questions and then they could answer them, but I'm not sure how that... That'd be good. Okay. What's your favorite dinosaur, everybody? Yeah, that's the most important one. Okay. I'm not hearing any answers from them, though. I think they're shy. Oh. So why don't we answer the questions they sent us? Alexander Kalitri has questions, but he also has a statement, and that's more important. Oh, we're doing the statement first? Plan 100 million BCE. Now, to clarify that this is, uh, you you asked not only that people give us questions, but they also suggest dinosaur games, and I believe this is the only dinosaur game suggestion that we got. So tell us about Plan 1 million. 100 million. 100 million BCE. Okay. It's a hex encounter war game covering Grote? It doesn't say Grote. Hang on. Grote. G-R-O-A-T. Great. This G-R-E-A-T. God, your handwriting is terrible. <clears throat> it's a hex encounter war game covering great dinosaur battles we never heard of and likely never occurred. He comments that this is pure gold. And I, I agree. You agree. Okay. But he also okay. has questions. Yeah, he has some questions. <laughs> but really, the most important thing was the dinosaur comment. Plan 1919 was a game I like. I like to have a game on that, but I can't do it. And we asked John Krakowski to, to make the game because he has that expertise. We really need someone who has expertise on hypothetical dinosaur attack plans. Plan 1919 with dinosaurs? Oh, my gosh. That's, that, that's the suggestion. Ah, no, Plan 1919. Not just Plan 100 million BCE. I'm all for Plan 100 million BCE. I want Plan 1919 with dinosaurs. Oh, yes. The thing is... John, you're going to work on that, right? I don't know if he's going to work on that. Because the thing is, Plan 1919 is not necessarily our best-selling game. I don't know if it can support... A bunch of dinosaur spinoffs. It will be our best-selling game with dinosaurs. <laughs> okay, let me get to Alexander's <laughs> questions. After the success of Escape from Hades, are there any more sci-fi games hurtling toward a release? There are a couple things in the works. Uh, nothing we can announce just yet. And we like sci-fi, so I mean... Well, I love sci-fi. You tolerate it. I don't... I also love (laughs) science fiction. I don't just tolerate it. (sighs) We do have some that we're looking at. Uh, Next, from Alexander. Are there any pre-1800 games slated for release this year? Uh, More specifically, Roman or Byzantine eras. Uh, We do have some pre-1800 games on the docket as far as roman and byzantine eras there's at least one which is going to be the grass crown that is the second game in the shields and swords ancients series and that should have a spring release that is pretty much done i need to finish putting in the footnotes for the rule book and then i have to lay out the rule book and all that fun stuff but the playtesting development has completed and the game is in a finished state and as we have 10 battles from oh, 10. Wow. 10. 10 battles from the uh, Roman Republic era 
there would have been, there could be more. Like, I could easily do more battles for it. But the thing that was important to me is that the game is telling the story of, like, the evolution of Roman doctrine and, and arms and formations and whatnot. And I want each battle to be a part of that story. So I don't want to put in battles that kind of repeat the same point over again. Because there might be good battles, there might be interesting battles, but if they're not helping to show you, chart that evolution then, you know, I you're not getting that same sense of momentum. And it might be a case where we do some kind of expansion down the line, like here's a scenario book. Uh, I don't know. Um, yes, definitely an expansion of the expansion with dinosaurs. The thing is, the dinosaurs might get hurt, Mary. You already can't play the game because of the elephants. dinosaurs we want dinosaurs okay um, we definitely want an expansion mm -hmm. of the expansion <laughs> um, and, and dinosaurs would be nice yeah I don't uh, other Roman oh well there's a Nicaea which is uh, about the first council of Nicaea in 300 something I forget years I'm not good with years uh, that's definitely in a, a Roman era and uh that'll be one of our big end of the year games i don't think any other roman games are on the docket besides those two but we have plenty of pre-1800 games you have here. nc i mean that's pre-1800 well yeah that's if it comes out this year uh yeah. there's a new horse okay. and musket game which is going to cover the tail end of the 1700s the new table battles uh, expansion coming out at the end of this month. Well, that's going to be that's the, pre eighteen hundred. Yes, it's going to be the uh, late sixteen, early seventeen hundreds. Okay, and one more from Alexander. This is the last one. Is there a planned fourth game in Tom's Three Cup series? Yes. Okay, and moving on. <laughs> um. So, uh, that is the Shackleton game Endurance, but it's going to be like a three-deck game rather than a three-cup game because we're going to be using cards. Uh, but it's the same kind of basic central mechanism of the stuff you do changes the way people feel about things. Okay, but you don't have another three-cup coming. With You have a three-deck. I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get to it eventually. Uh, let's see. Ryan Alea writes, Dear Monster... Are you developing another shot and shell battle series game for 2021? Or is it being replaced by the highly anticipated Paw and Claw battle series? Uh, Peter S. Marcus also is inquiring about the shot and shell series, but I don't think about the he's interested in the Paw and Claw battle series. That's a problem. But maybe he is. I don't know. He'll have to comment on that himself. Okay. I mean, Monster, obviously, to develop my game, which apparently she's my developer. Again, this is news to me. She's been doing it all along. Oh, my gosh. This is uh, how much you pay attention. In order for her to develop the game, I need to design it. And I am not currently working on a Shot and Shell game. I might work on another one. I have one in mind. Uh, there's not a lot of pressure for me to get one out in that 
you know, of like the two kind of traditional-ish war game series systems that I have, uh, one sells pretty well and one does not sell as well. Uh, Shields and Swords does pretty well. Shot and Shell does not do as well. Um, I think partially it's because it's a bit more complicated. It has a harder time standing out against other games because there's plenty of systems for fighting Civil War and Civil War era battles. All which have things to recommend them, but this one has, I think, doesn't stand out as much, whereas the Shields and Swords game, because of its simplicity, it stands out from other medieval and ancient games because of the way it approaches the material. And these also are very expensive games because of the number of counters that are needed, the sometimes larger maps, so it's harder to sell more copies. We tend to sell more copies of cheaper games than we do of more expensive games. And that's not saying that we won't do them, because, I mean, if we if our primary thing was making money, we wouldn't be printing games one at a time. Uh, print on demand, we wouldn't be doing these weird topics. But it's just, as far as the incentive goes, uh, for me as a designer, most of my design work, I'm mostly focused on kind of stranger things, uh, more off-the-wall things, and then I do kind of more traditional battle kind of games to kind of recharge my batteries between them. And if I'm going to do those, the... Shields and Swords stuff is easier for me to do, quicker for me to do, uh, sells better, is better received, and so there's less of an incentive for me to do uh, Shot and Shell other than just enjoying the games. So I do have one in mind. I don't know if I can get to it this year or not, essentially. I mean, that pretty much covers it, I think. What do you think, Mayor? Yeah. I really enjoyed Alma and Blood in the Fog. Of course, Alma was uh, blood, too, at one point. <laughs> But I think uh, you missed an opportunity with Blood in the Fog, the Inkerman game. You did not put Mary's picket in there. My picket stood up to the entire Russian army and took them down. You know, I, I appreciate your effort as a blight tester because you you managed to, to break the game uh, in that this picket composed of a few dozen men held no, off. It was one guy. One guy. One guy. One guy. <laughs> held off like 50,000 Russians. Yep. So that was obviously a, a rule needed to be changed, and you weren't too happy about me changing that rule. But, yeah, I mean, this. I mean, the very, very first game I ever had published was Blood on the Alma. Uh, it was a magazine game. And that system, essentially, I mean, it certainly evolved over time and uh, got a bit more ornate and a bit more flexible. Well, it kept changing every time we were... when I was playtesting with Tom... <laughs> It kept changing. It was this way, and then it was the next time. It's completely different. Well, and then the next time, there's a few things changed. Okay, was, and the next time it's completely different. <sighs> it was my first war game. I was trying to figure stuff out, but um, well, I, I understand that process. So I have. It was, it I was have, a little frustrating. I have some uh, some affection for the system, but it's not something that I basically designed the bare bones of. You know, um, oh, it's a quite a while back. 11, 12 years ago, and uh, and because it doesn't sell super well, I'm not as again as incentivized to give it my time as far as stuff that's in between my my kind of bigger, more ambitious projects. I mean, I think uh, Heights of Alma. I think that's my worst selling game. Mike Fogus asks, 
With the end of Winsome, Hollenspiel is likely its closest successor. Is there any chance that you'd go whole hog into filling the quirky, lightweight, yet emergent train game niche? I'm up to it. I, I want, I'm not quite sure what whole hog... Because we're doing like a train game a year. Like we, we had a train game out last year. Well, you're supposed to do two, and then this year, if other people do them, you know, we'll add, add th- them also. This year we have an expansion to one of my train games, and then we have Travis Hill's train game, so... We're set for this year. And, and it really next is year... Travis's. Travis Hill is not a pseudonym. <laughs> Mary, you and I are working on Dinosaur Gage yep. for next year. Yep. And then probably do another train game in 2023. I'm, I'm really happy with the concept of the map. Next up is C. Scott Kippen. How are Tom and Mary? How are you, Mary? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm okay. Okay. Well, that takes care of that. Richard Terry asks, After the bumper success of the Hollandaise sale and increasing attention, are you worried about getting too big and how that might impact your model? Uh, oh, we're, we're not even small big yet. I mean, we, we haven't made it past small. So there is always a possibility of getting too big. Like on the one hand, we have to order more wood bits. We had to order wood bits for things expecting X number of sales over X amount of time. And now we're selling more, so every time we order wood bits, it's going to be more. Every time we order decks of cards, uh, our initial batch of cards, we're ordering more cards than we were previously because we're selling through them faster. Um, so there's more of a cash flow situation we need to be more cognizant of. Not a whole lot of room in that back room with the wood bits, though. Yeah, we are limited by the amount of space we have in the house. Yeah. Okay, Derek Scott has a couple of questions. And the first one is, Do you publish expansions for any of your games? And what would make you consider designing an expansion for one of your games? You know what we should do? What should we do? Sci-fi dinosaurs. Dinosaurs in space. How are they going to breathe, Mary? Space suits. Seems like those would be very large space suits. Plus, they're going to be in spaceships. Very large space stations. Those are very big. I mean, you need really big space station. And would dinosaurs be like cooperative with that? Well, they would have built it. Where are you going with this? I mean, if we have dinosaurs in space manning a space station and in spacesuits. I don't know if they have the manual dexterity to, to put those together, though. Oh my god, Tom. <laughs> um, expansions. Um, Where do you... What, what kind of stuff do you read? I, I mean, <laughs> you, you don't know this stuff? Expansions. Um, we've done expansions before. Uh, Table Battle series has expansions. Um, and was designed with, hey, there's going to be expansions in mind. Same thing with Dual Gauge. It was like, hey, I'm designing a system... And there's going to be expansions to this. Um, I think I've had like one other. Yeah, uh, Kingdom of Diflin was a scenario book expansion for Great Heathen Army. Our Horse and Musket series, of course, is built around expansions because the base game, as we've talked about before, um, we don't really make money on the base game. It's kind of a loss leader for us. We make our money on the expansions. So why do we do an expansion? Um, I mean, because we think there's going to be people who are going to buy it. Um, yeah, people are definitely going to buy 
the expansion to dinosaur table battles? Uh, you know, obviously the base game needs to do well enough because generally an expansion is going to... Well, for most publishers, uh, from talking with other publishers, an expansion is going to sell about a third as many copies as the base game. Uh, ours is closer to about half for most of our titles, where about half of the sales of the base game is how many sales we have for an expansion. Typically, the first expansion sells more copies than the second expansion, but it does depend on the topic. For example, Gettysburg, the third third expansion for table yep. battles I, I, I. Uh, has sold better than other expansions i believe it may have sold less copies than the first one but it's been around for you know a year less but the rate at which it's selling is much quicker and that's because people like gettysburg who, who knew who knew that that people were interested in gettysburg yeah it's such an obscure topic tiny little bell no one heard of yeah i think that pretty much covers it it also also going to depend on what the expansion is going to entail and you know will there be dinosaurs i mean obviously that's the most important yeah derek's second question is if a designer came to hollenspiel with an expansion for an average selling game how would you approach it how would we approach it i don't know mayor how would we approach it does it have dinosaurs is it science fiction yeah, that's about it. That's I, that's all we really need. I, 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 Does it have dinosaur and science fiction? <sighs> Bestseller. Okay, so I I think part of it is is gonna be like what, what is average selling? Like we talked about before, the amount the expansion sell compared to the base game. You know what is going to be the um, where it's gonna make sense? Like we were talking with uh, Tim Taylor before they passed, uh, obviously. And Tim had an expansion in mind for At All Costs, which would be a science fiction expansion, actually, and one of them would have dinosaurs. So that ch- checked off two, two of the boxes. Yep. But the art costs that would be involved were such that in order to recoup the expansion, we need to sell two or three times as many copies as the base game did. And we just didn't see that as something that could be feasible. And we wouldn't want to do the expansion without the art because then you're not getting the flavor you're not getting what the thing is okay and to wrap this up we have a couple of questions uh from adam and the first one is how did your relationship with cole Worley begin we had awareness of of cole because he had written a, a very nice like little strategy piece on my game north and pacific we didn't really have contact with him until uh, I was working, uh, editing a wargaming magazine, and I needed someone to write an article on a particular game, and I didn't know anyone who could write that, because I didn't have the game, so I looked on BoardGameGeeksy, who had the game rated highly, and who I thought could write, and that was Cole, and so I said, hey, can do you want to write an article for this magazine? Um, and he was like, sure. And at the same time, you and I were and Hollenspiel started up and you said um, this is the PAX Premier guy um, do you want to ask him if he'll design a game for us and so kind of in the same breath uh, without having any real interaction with him we said we're starting a company do you want to design a game for us and for some reason he said yes I'm still not sure why he said yes Um, but that was infamous traffic and we published it and it 
it sold okay. Yep. <laughs> it, it, it got us in the black, and it was a big part of us getting the larger audience than what we had started with. And we didn't meet Cole until um, the summer after Traffic came out. I believe the following year is when he gave you a t-shirt. You're, you're, pretty, you're pretty happy about that, that Root t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Mary's a great fan of t-shirts. Really, if, if there ever are conventions again, and we're ever at them, and you see uh, Mary, give her a t-shirt or a button, and, and she'll, she'll be your best friend. Really? I mean, isn't that how I wooed you? I gave you a button? No. Huh. You didn't give me anything. <laughs> okay, I have given you things. I took you to a movie. Our first date. I, I bought a ticket for you. I gave you a ticket. Yeah, you gave me a ticket. You didn't buy it for me. No, I did. Because I, cause, cause I had... So I had one free ticket, and I had to buy the other ticket. I bought your ticket. The free ticket, you know, that, that was mine. But I, I bought you a ticket, and we <sighs> saw The Hulk, the Ang Lee film, um, at the dollar show. Yes, I remember. That's back when they had dollar shows. Yep. That's when there were several dollar shows around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, Adam has one more question here. Okay. How do we keep centered in these absolutely bonkers times? Because his question is, how do we do it? So, how do we do it? So, so we are pretty centered, I think. You and me? I, I mean, am. You are? Okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, part of it is, since we've been working from home the whole time anyway... That doesn't impact us as much. We get a little stir-crazy sometimes and wish we could go out more and do more. Um, we tried to go out yesterday on, on a drive into the thumb, and that didn't go so well. Uh, we had to stop at the pharmacy first, and the pharmacy took forever. Yeah, that was almost an hour at the pharmacy. And then uh, I... And they told me it'd be 10 minutes. And then I went down the wrong way on the road and then turned out after we got the right way that it was the wrong road and then by that time it was like okay we've we've been on the road like for two hours and haven't really gone anywhere so we ended up going home but we're, we're gonna try again you know for, have, have a drive out into the thumb but uh did not did not work so well um we'll get there yeah but otherwise i mean we're we're doing okay. We're kind of focusing on on the business and monster, monster, and moving along. You know, um, having the business helps. I mean, really, these last four or five years, which have been tumultuous, <laughs> having the business has helped. Anything to add to that, Mary? Nope. Dinosaurs, everybody. <laughs>